Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, this series, our Christmas series, we're calling Miracles, obviously, and it's a great word, really, that captures the essence of the season. Because when you think about it, it is a miraculous thing that the God of the universe, the God who stepped from nowhere to stand on nothing and spoke everything into existence and it stays there because he tells it to, that same God became flesh. Uh, We call it the incarnation. Carnus is flesh, and to be in flesh is to be incarnate. And it's a miracle that the God of creation, the God of, uh, of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, could limit himself inside of a body, be born of a virgin, and enter this world to be our savior, to redeem us. So miracle really is a great word to describe what we celebrate at Christmas time. But by the way, miracle is not a word God ever uses to describe himself or anything he ever does. Now, the Bible says, you read out throughout the New Testament concerning the ministry of Jesus, it talks about signs and wonders and the miracles that he did, but Jesus never did a miracle and he called it a miracle. He never did something and said, now guys, just so you know, that was a miracle. That wasn't his word. Miracle is not a word God uses to describe the things he does. It's our word. God doesn't use the word because he can't surprise himself. (laughs) God's never done something and said, well, I didn't know I could do that, that's cool, that's a miracle. How'd I do that, right? Jesus never healed somebody of blindness or called the dead back to life and shocked himself by doing that. Wow, that was cool. Lazarus actually walked out of the grave. I may do that again. That was a miracle. But we call it a miracle. Now, that's our word. And we uh, use it quite frequently. We say, well, it'll be a miracle if this works out. It'll be a miracle if Dallas makes past first round of playoffs. It'll be a, right? That's our word. It'll be a, it'll be a, It'll be a miracle if we get all the family together and there's not some kind of a drama, right? We use this word miracle all the time. We throw it around and it's a great word. It's a descriptive word. It means that this is something that's going to happen or we hope it happened, but it's going to be something that God will have to intervene in order for it to happen, right? It's just going to be a miracle. And so this morning, I want us to think about this, the idea that every one of us in this room, we are miracles of God's grace, In fact, for a little while, I want to talk to you about this idea of being an ornament of grace. You know, in the Christmas season, we're all familiar with the the ornaments. Uh, Many of you may already be putting the trees up, and you may already be decorating the tree. If not, you're probably going to be getting that done here before too long. And I remember at our house, Cindy would always pick out ornaments. That was her thing. Uh, We have ornaments that go all the way back to the first year she and I were together. Our first year together, ornament, right? Uh, a little church that she got when I became a pastor. She got a church ornament. So ornaments were significant. They were special. They commemorated events. When our first baby came along, Shannon's first Christmas, got that ornament on the tree. We got dog ornaments. I got horse ornaments. We got ornaments of, to, to, to commemorate all. We even have a Dallas Cowboys ornament, huh? I mean, uh, ever hopeful. And we've got all these ornaments that we have uh, on the tree. We, 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 we have them because they commemorate something special to us. 
Billy came along, baby's first Christmas. Then the kids get into things, right? They're into little events, they're into sporting events, they're doing different things. So you get an ornament to commemorate the things that your kids are into. And after a while, when you build a life together, you suddenly look at this collection of ornaments and you can look at the tree and you realize, man, those ornaments all speak of special events and special people that have been in my life. I, I haven't been able yet to get the tree up. You know, I'm hoping that that can happen, uh, but I, I just hadn't been able to quite do that. But I can tell you that those ornaments that we have all are very, very, especially now, they're very meaningful. Uh, she, we would put those ornaments on the tree and invariably in putting the ornaments on the tree, I would break a few. Any other guys in the room have that experience? Yeah, break a few. Lay the quilt down around the base of the tree to do the best you can to try to uh, protect the ornaments as best you can, but invariably you're going, to, the more they're handled, the more likely they're going to get broken. And when I would drop and break one, she'd go, it's not a real special one, is it? And I went, well, what does baby's first Christmas mean to you? You know, kind of like, bring it to me. Oh, so I would pick up the ornaments and I would bring it over to her. And she had what, what we kind of jokingly called a rescue station. It had like a, a, a hot glue gun plugged in, right? And my nickname was Bull in a China Closet, right? And so I would occasionally, I would break one of those special ornaments and then I would have to gather them up and bring it to her. And then it was so amazing how she just meticulously and carefully glued that thing back together. And once the ornament was back together again, then she would take and place the ornament on the tree. And it was not just the ornament, but it was where the ornament was placed. She would say, now, the ornaments that mean something to the kids, put them down low so they can see them, right? Uh, and the other ornaments for, for the rest of the family, you know, kind of put them around the tree. So ornaments were significant, they were special, they commemorated certain events, uh, certain moments in our life. And even though the ornaments would be broken, uh, they could be restored and they could be hung again on the tree so they could shine and so that we could share them. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking about all of us. How that every one of us in this room, we are, we are really ornaments of God's grace. And I want to kind of think about that metaphor with me just for a few moments before we go home. I want to look at a passage that's over in the back of the Bible where the pages are stuck together. The, the book of Amos chapter nine. And in Amos chapter nine, I, I want to take this two verses and I want to do an application of the text. Now, it's not the interpretation of the text. There's a difference. Every uh, verse in the Bible has an interpretation. In fact, the Bible says there's no scripture of private interpretation, meaning you cannot take the Bible out of its panoramic setting or out of its context and make it say what you want it to say. You can't bend it that way. So you have to take the scripture in its setting. A text without context leads to pretext. So you have to understand what does it mean by what it says? And every scripture just has that one interpretation. Well, the interpretation is God dealing with a nation, God dealing with people who had gone away from him. He had to discipline them to bring them back to them, him, and now he's restoring and resetting them in their original place. That's the interpretation. Now, the application, you can make many applications of a text. Uh, an application is, the, the rule of application is you can apply it so long as it doesn't violate an, another principle or precept of scripture, right? It's an application. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid in my dad's church, we had what was called flannel graph. 
It's a real thing, kids. You can Google that. It's, it's like a, a, a teaching method of a cloth board where they take these cutout pictures and stick them on the board. And so we had one of this guy that, uh, that was Jesus, right? He looked like he, he might have been with uh, Grateful Dead, uh, that, that kind of look, but he was Jesus. And uh, he's, he, some of you didn't get that at all. But anyway, the point is, uh, he's, he's knocking at this door. And so my Sunday school teacher said, boys and girls, that's Jesus knocking at your heart's door. Uh, and then they went to Revelation where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let him open the door and come in and I'll fellowship him with him and he with me. So they use that. Now that was not the interpretation, it was an application. The interpretation is Jesus was on the outside of one of his churches knocking to get in. That's the interpretation. But the application, it still works. He's knocking at the heart's door, wanting us to welcome him in. You see the difference? So I'm taking an application of this text in, in Amos chapter nine. So if you have a Bible, look with me, just two verses, and then I wanna comment on them, we go home. Amos nine, look at verse 11 and 12. God said in that day, there's coming a point, coming a time when I'm going to restore. I'm gonna make it right. It's not right now, but it will be right in time. He said, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna repair broken places. He said, I'm gonna restore ruins Listen, I'm gonna build it as it used to be. I'm gonna reset this thing. I'm gonna put it back in its original design. I'm gonna take this thing that has been broken and this thing that has been ruined and I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna put it back together. I'm gonna make it like it used to be. The Lord will do this, he said, and here's why. So that they may bear my name. So that somebody may see me and what I've done in you right? Two or three things, actually four. <laughs> Number one, notice we are designed. We're designed. God put this thing together. He put a nation together in Amos 9. He's put our lives together. We are designed. In fact, in the 147th Psalm, it says this, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know God took great care in making you? He made you unique no one has your personality, no one has your DNA, nobody has your fingerprint, no, nobody can do exactly what you can do. You are unique, you are fearfully, you are wonderfully made. Someone said, God doesn't make junk. So you were, you were designed. One of the things Cindy would do each year, she'd either go into Hallmark or she'd look online and she would carefully select ornaments. And we knew that those ornaments had been, had been crafted, they had been designed to reflect an event or reflect a moment or reflect a person or reflect a thing that was meaningful. And can I tell you, you and I likewise, God has fearfully crafted us, he had designed us, he has made us for purpose. I talked about this last week. We are made for purpose, we are made with purpose, we are made on purpose. God, in fact, and according to Ecclesiastes 3, uh, we're going to be here as long as there's a purpose for us being here. All of those ornaments on the tree, they're all designed for a purpose. They represent, they reflect, they shine, they share. All of those ornaments have a reason, they have a purpose, and we, ladies and gentlemen, likewise have purpose. When you read Genesis, the Bible says, after God created things, he would say about the thing he had just created, that's good. Well, he said that because there wasn't anybody else around to brag on it. So he just stepped back and went, well, that was good. But when you read the record, when he created mankind, you know what he said? He said, that's very good. 
But you know why he said that? Because we are the Imago Dei. God made us in his image and his likeness. And when God created us in his image and his likeness, he stepped back different from all of the rest of the creation. He said, all of that is good, but they're very good. I've got a special purpose for them. They are my kids. They are in my image. So we're designed. Second thought, we're damaged. Every little ornament in the room this morning has been broken. You've been dropped, <laughs> let's face it. Somebody has bumped you, somebody has dropped you, somebody has hurt you. There, there's nobody in this room who has not gone th through something in their life that's been painful. We're just broken in different ways. Some people are broken on the outside, some people are broken on the inside. Ornaments get broken. It's just a reality. The more they're handled, the more they're used, the greater the likelihood that eventually they're gonna get dropped. And when they get dropped, sometimes they get broken. In fact, if you, you saw the two words that he uses in our text, he uses this word broken and he uses this word ruins. Broken is the idea of something handled, of something broken while it was being handled, right? It was active. Uh, you, you put yourself out there. You say, I wanna help a friend, or I'm gonna do this for a family member. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put myself out there. And, and sometimes in putting yourself out there, you, you get hurt. I mean, you, you open your heart up to someone, or you open your heart up to something, and suddenly you, you get hurt. Listen, nobody can hurt you more, and no one can hurt you more deeply than those closest to you, people you trust. They know your PIN number, they know the security code, Dog doesn't even bark when they show up. <laughs> and I guarantee you, everybody in the room has a story of being hurt by somebody that was close to them. So I'm saying, you cannot escape this. I don't care how spiritual you are or how spiritual you aren't. I don't care if you are religious or irreligious. It does, that doesn't matter about anything. You just cannot, and I cannot live in this world, we cannot go through life and not be broken. It's just an inescapable reality of life. And so he uses this word to describe his people in an application. It's a beautiful word because it absolutely describes all of us in this room. We've all been broken. I mean, we, we came, think about it. We came into the world with some uh, factory flaws. Our ornament wasn't perfected when it was created. We had little fissures, little stress fractures, little cracks. Um, Goes back to original sin, by the way. Where the Bible says, in sin, my mother conceived me. We came into the world with this burden of sin, with a sin nature in our life. And when you think about how God created, it's not how he created us. He didn't design it that way. He designed us to be perfect. He designed us in his image, the Omago Day. But as life happened and as we were handled, we became broken. And when you go back to the garden, when the sin enters the picture and the devil tempts Adam and Eve with this thing of sin, suddenly that which was perfect becomes broken. You think about original sin. The devil knew two things in Genesis 3. He knew, number one, God loves his kids. And he knew, number two, God hates sin. Sin separates from God. So here was the strategy of the enemy. The strategy of the enemy is, I'm gonna get something God hates into someone that he loves. And so in the garden, you have something God hates in something that he loves. And from that point forward, 
we've been trying to separate the two. In fact, we get frustrated because we can't. That's why Jesus came into the world. The Bible says concerning Jesus, he was the lamb slain. Get this, slain before the foundation of the world. Did you get the phrasing of that? He was slain before, listen, the solution, God had the solution before the devil ever created the problem. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Before sin ever entered the picture, God already had the solution. Jesus is gonna fix this. But the problem that I'm wanting you to see is you and I were damaged. We were damaged in the original design and then just going through life, just getting by day to day and interacting with people from time to time, you're going to get, you're going to get broken. And then it uses this other word, the word ruins. Well, there's a difference between broken and being in the ruins. Ruins is something that happens through neglect. Neglect. You just neglect your house. You neglect your health. You neglect a relationship. Anything you neglect will begin to wither. Anything, a plant. (laughs) Just neglect a plant. And so once that happens, it falls into decay, into ruin. So on one hand, you have brokenness. Brokenness is active. It's from being used. On the other hand, you have ruins. Ruins is inactivity. It's lack of attention. It's sometimes apathy. I just didn't give attention to it. I I just wasn't focused on it. And my lack of attention and my apathy concerning this area of my life, it began to dry and slowly it began to die. And all I'm saying is regardless of where you are in the process, as you go through life and I go through life, we're not gonna go through life without being broken, without having areas of our life that are neglected that we have to go back and give attention to. But the beautiful thing, the redemptive thing about what I wanna talk to you about is the third thing, and that's the idea we're delivered. Let me tell you this morning, there's no one so broken that God cannot put them back together. There's no heart in this room so broken that he can't heal it. There's no life so shattered that he can't put it back together. There's no one so ruined that he can't restore them. There's nothing God cannot do In fact, several times in the Bible, he asked this question rhetorically, is there anything too hard for me? (laughs) Kind of like, bring it. God said, bring it. I mean, bring your stuff. It it doesn't matter what you brought. You didn't bring something in this room so heavy and so difficult that God cannot handle. You don't have a burden so heavy he can't lift. You haven't committed some sin so bad that he can't forgive. You don't have a problem so complex that he can't fix it. You've never one time gone to him in prayer and had him respond to you going, I'm gonna have to get back to you. You are really messed up. More than I really thought. Never happened. I'm just saying he can put the broken pieces back together. He can restore the areas that have been ruined. Listen to the 147th Psalm, verse three. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds their wounds. Isn't that a beautiful word? Listen to Isaiah 42, verse three. A bruised reed will he not break? And not only will he not break this bruised reed, but a a, a faintly burning wick will he not quench. Get that word picture. Here's a plant that's been bruised. This precious plant means a lot to you. And if you don't nurture that thing, it will die. And he looks at that plant. He doesn't say, I'm just gonna throw it out and get another one and make it look just like that one. No, he says, I'm gonna take care of that one. It's bruised, but it can be healed. He looks at a little candle. It's almost about, it's just a little, just a little flicker. It's all, the flame is almost gone. The thrill is gone, baby. It's almost out. And he'll begin to nurture that back to life. 
Can I say some of you have come into this room as a bruised reed and just a little flicker in your heart of joy, a little flicker in your heart of happiness, a little flicker in your heart of, 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 of contentment. But I'm saying you have a deliverer, you have a God who can restore, you have a God who can heal, you have a God who can bring back to life those areas of life that have dried and died. In the Japanese culture, uh, there's an art form called kensukuri. Uh, kensukuri is an art form where they take broken vessels and they mend these vessels back together and in the cracks, the broken cracks, they pour gold, gold. And as they lay the gold leaf into the cracks of the vessel that has been broken, the vessel is restored and actually through it, the process of it being broken, it becomes more valuable. And behind kensukuri is a philosophy. And the philosophy is that sometimes God can work in our lives in such a way that through our brokenness, we become more valuable. Sensitive to the people around us that maybe we would not have been sensitive to before. Compassionate to people behind us who are going through something that we've been through before. God can take something that has been damaged in our life, put it back together and make it valuable to help someone else. Remember, an ornament of grace. Last thought, we're delivered. We are, lastly, displayed. Did you see that last line I read to you in verse 12? So that they may bear my name. So that. Everything God does at the end of it is, is so that. He does this so that that can happen. He does this so that that can happen. He, he does this so that that can happen. Everything he does is a means to an end. He's intentional. He's purposeful. He can take the broken pieces of our life when the ornament is dropped and broken and our life is shattered and we're just in here just barely hanging on. He can put that together. And with the gold that fills the cracks, suddenly that which is broken becomes even more beautiful. And you know why he does that? So he can put it back on the tree. So somebody can look at his work in you and say, wow, look what God did in that life. What a beautiful reflection of who he is. What does Romans 8, 29 say? He's conforming us into the image of his son. He's resetting us. He's restoring us. He's getting us back to what he intended us to be, the original design, so that my life and yours can be a reflection of who he is. Let me give you a beautiful example of this before we go home. Many years ago in Chicago, there was a famous pastor evangelist by the name of Dwight L. Moody, had a huge church. He had a lawyer that was attending his church, a very faithful member of his church, a very successful lawyer in town. And after a period of time, he decided that he would take his family to Europe for vacation. That day, you traveled by ship. But he had to finish up some business. He wasn't ready to travel yet, so he asked his wife and his four little girls if they wanted to go on ahead of him, and he would catch up with them in a week or so. So he put them on a ship and they set sail across the Atlantic and somewhere across the waters in the middle of the night, tragedy struck as that ship struck another ship and it began to sink. After some explosions and some violent repercussions of the shipwreck, this mom of these four little girls came to as she was floating on a piece of debris. She didn't know where her four girls were. When she was rescued, she understood the horror that her four little girls, along with many, many others, had drowned 
as a result of that shipwreck. When she was able to, she telegraphed her husband and just said, I'm saved, but I'm alone. I don't know what to do. He said, I'll be there as soon as I can. He boarded a ship. And he told the captain of the ship what had happened. And he said, sir, when we're in the area where the ship went down, where my four little girls died, would you let me know? I, it would mean a lot to me. Somewhere in the wee hours of the morning, someone knocked on his cabin door and said, Mr. Spafford, we're in the area now where the ship went down, where your little girls died. He got up and he walked the deck of the ship, broken, broken. His heart was broken. His faith was broken. He didn't know why. He didn't know what God was up to. How could this have happened? And all of a sudden, he said he had an incredible peace that came over him. And not only just an incredible peace, but he felt inspired to share what he was thinking. So he sat down on the deck of that vessel and he began to write these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Whatever betide, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And God began to put the shattered pieces of that little couple's lives back together. And he hung them on that tree for all the world to see. And you and I in this room right now, me sharing that with you, are seeing an ornament of God's grace. How he can put the broken back together so that they can shine once again. You're not so broken that he can't fix you. You can't go so far that he can't reach you. He loves you this morning. If you don't know him, I highly recommend him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for your love for the broken. We, none of us in this room, none of us in this room can escape brokenness. But I'm so grateful that you're the God that can put us back together again to where we can say it is well with my soul. I pray for my friends this morning who may never have trusted you they just may never have come to terms with her faith. I pray this might be the moment when they just humble their heart and say, Lord, with all that is in me and with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. For others, Lord, their heart's heavy. Holiday season's hard. I pray, Father, you'll minister and heal and touch and encourage and bring joy and gladness. For those who need someone just to encourage them before they leave, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their way to the front. Let somebody spend a minute and just pray for them before they go home. Thank you, Lord, that we all in some way or another are ornaments of your grace. Protect us, make this a great week, bring joy to our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.